Tonight, God's Word comes to us from the book of 1 Kings in the Old Testament, 1 Kings chapter 17. We'll be reading the first 16 verses, our focus tonight, on verses 7 through 16. First Kings chapter 17, beginning at verse 1, what we hear now is God's word. Now Elijah, the Tishbite of Tishbe in Gilead, said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. And the word of the Lord came to him. Depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Kerit, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the brook Kerit, that is east of the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. And after a while, the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he rose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me, and afterward make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, The jar of flour shall not be spent, and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said. And she and he and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. Here we end the reading of God's holy word. Well, we continue tonight in our study of the history of God's working with His people. The history of God working with His people, Israel, during the ministry of the prophet Elijah. We saw that in Israel, this is an age of apostasy. Ahab the king marrying Jezebel, going outside the covenant people for a wife. How Ahab would bring the worship of Baal into Samaria, a false god brought into the capital and worshipped. How they would rebuild Jericho 
deliberately forgetting that the gifts of God come by the grace of God. And now in chapter 17, Elijah shows up on the scene. Elijah shows up with no family history given. We don't know exactly where he lived, somewhere in the region of Gilead. No prophetic call recorded for us, but we do know his name, children. His name, you remember, was a little sentence. His name means, my God is Yahweh. My God is the covenant God. My God is the faithful God. The God who is faithful to his word and faithful to his promises. The God who spoke to his people Israel and by the power of that word would direct his people Israel. A word that came, as we saw last time, in judgment. That there would be no rain, no dew, except by the word of the prophet. And then God removes the prophet, brings him to the other side of the Jordan River, but still keeps his prophet alive. The word is not killed. The word simply removed. And now tonight, once again, we'll see a movement by the prophet. Once again, he will follow the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord came to him, Arise and go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. There have been a number of suggestions as to why it is that Elijah made this move to Zarephath. Uh, some suggest it's because the brook uh, of Kerit, the brook where he was staying, uh, his source of water had dried up. It was now gone. And certainly the text re relates that to us, uh, that the brook dried up. But the brook dried up because there was no rain. The drying up of the brook was the circumstance of his move, not the cause of his move. A God who could have him fed by ravens in the morning and by ravens in the evening could certainly provide water for him. No, he did not move because the brook had dried up. He moved because the word of the Lord came to him and told him to move. Elijah lives and dies by the word of the Lord. Some suggest he went to Zarephath in order that he could have this interaction with the widow, the widow we're going to talk about tonight. And certainly that is the story that's recounted for us, uh, Elijah and the widow. But we have to be so careful when reading God's Word that we not focus so particularly on the characters in the story that we miss the big picture. God is still instructing his people. The Bible is a book not about a bunch of individuals that do a lot of different things. The Bible is about God and what he is doing in the life of his people. We must not be too horizontal in our reading of the story. But remember, this is God's word and God's ways with his people. He went to Zarephath at the word of the Lord because the place itself was a further testimony to Israel. We read, Arise, go to Zarephath that belongs to Sidon and dwell there. Go to Sidon. Now, maybe that sounds a little bit familiar to you. 
We talked just briefly about Sidon in the first sermon we had in this series, back in chapter 16, verse 31, describing Ahab as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat. He took for his wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians. And now he's told to go to Sidon. This city in Phoenicia, he's sent outside the covenant land, up to the north, on the coast. We often think of Phoenicia in terms of Tyre and Sidon, those two big cities. Zarephath is kind of between those two. It's a pagan land. And the word of the Lord is taken there. First taken to a brook, and now taken to a pagan country. As one more step in the judgment God is bringing upon his people. Israel should have cared for the prophet, should have cared for the word, but they reject it. And so he is sent to a foreign country. And Israel will not have the blessing of having the word of God in their midst. It is a blessing to serve God, and that word of service is now taken away, sent to a foreign country. They should have provided for him, but God has to send birds and a brook and now a pagan widow to provide for the word. This, of course, anticipates the coming of Jesus Christ. It anticipates what we celebrate this time of year. The gospel says he came to his own, and his own received him not. Elijah here anticipating the work of Jesus Christ as he comes into the world, and his own will not receive him. This this going to the pagan nation anticipates the expansion of the gospel that we talked about in our Acts series just a few weeks ago. Remember how the gospel began in Jerusalem. And even after the Pentecost event, the preaching of the gospel was still primarily a Jewish event. It's not until Acts chapter 9 that we have the gospel coming even on the Gentiles, the Spirit given to them, to the nation. That's what we celebrate tonight. That's why we're here tonight, celebrating and singing about the birth of Jesus Christ. Because we have been brought in, the nations brought in. Otherwise, why in the world, why in the world would we sing about the birth of a Jewish boy? It makes no sense. But he's more than a Jewish boy. He is our Lord. He is our Savior. We have been brought into relationship with Him. Elijah anticipates that. The Word being sent to the nations. A Word that came to us. Which is why we gather tonight. Which is why we sing our songs of praise to Jesus Christ, our King. Elijah travels by the command of of, of God. We've seen again and again, he will live and die by the word of the Lord. First, he travels east of the Jordan at the word of the Lord. The ravens feed him at the word of the Lord. And now he goes to Zarephath at the word of the Lord. Again, a strange place for him to go. To Zarephath in Sidon. 
Sidon, which was the origin of that sin of Israel, setting up the Baals in Israel. Yet God sends his word there. And we read, Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he goes at God's command. And I've commanded a widow to feed you. So he rose, went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her again, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. The word of God comes to him and says, Go to Zarephath. And God tells him, I have commanded a widow to feed you. How does that command come to the widow? Evidently, she was not told before he got there. Otherwise, her response would have been different. If God had told her ahead of time, look, there's a prophet coming and you're to feed him, then why would she uh, argue about making this for him? She would say, of course, God told me to do this. But she doesn't do that. She questions. She has a reason why she shouldn't follow this instruction. Now, I know it says in the text, Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. But that's a particular construction that speaks about a future event that is so certain to happen, it's spoken of as if it's already taken place. What the text is saying is, I am going to command a widow there to feed you, but I'm so sure it's going to happen, I'm speaking about it as if it's already taken place. So the text says, I have commanded that this happen. If God had spoken earlier, her response would have been different. How does the word of God come to her and instruct her that she is to feed him? The word of God comes through the mouthpiece of God. This particular instruction, behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you, comes when he says to her, bring me water in a vessel that I may drink. It comes to her when he says, bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. The word of God comes from God's anointed mouthpiece. Now, we don't have prophets still today. We don't have those who give us the immediate revelation of God. But we most certainly still hear God's prophetic voice. God speaks to us through those whom he has called to bring his message. We hear the prophetic word of God, we hear the prophetic voice of God in the preaching of the word. We do not ask God to reveal himself in signs, in visions. God does not reveal himself in prayers or in songs. God reveals himself and he declares his word to us through the official proclamation of that word. Kids, that's why we come to church. We come to church to hear God speak. We come to church because here is where God 
places His Word in our midst. The preaching of the Word of God is the center of our worship service. I don't know how much opportunity you have to go uh, worship in other churches, perhaps when you're traveling or things like that. It's always interesting to know how much time is given to the ministry of the Word. I've attended some churches in travels we have done. If there is no Reformed church to go to, we'll find a good evangelical church to go to. And there'll be a good amount of time spent in singing, and I love to sing. There'll be time spent in giving testimonies, what God has done in people's lives in the last week, and I love to hear testimonies. But I'm, I'm always struck how little time is often given to the preaching of the Word. Singing is wonderful. Testimonies are wonderful. Prayer is wonderful. But God speaks to us in the ministry of the Word. And that's also why we don't just have anyone get up and speak. There are some, some churches where the service begins, anyone have a word from the Lord tonight? Come on up, take your turn in the pulpit. We don't do that. We have those who are, who are set apart, ordained, we say, to bring the Word of God. God speaks to us through the mouthpiece He has chosen. The widow, the widow is commanded to feed Elijah through the words of Elijah. That's, that's why we come to worship, to hear God speak. That's why we come to worship on Sunday morning and on Sunday evening, to hear our God speak His words of love, His words of challenge, His words of encouragement to us as the Lord's Day begins and as the Lord's Day ends. The prophet goes at the command of God. The widow is commanded through the voice of the prophet to provide for him. And we see in this divine command to go to Zarephath, we see the reminder that God sends his word where he will and when he will. I'm sure it would not have been Elijah's choice to go up to Zarephath. That's a, it's, it's way up in the north. Why would he go up there? Why would he go outside the covenant land? He would not have chosen Zarephath. There were, in fact, Jesus will say in his ministry, there were widows in Israel he could have gone to. But God sends him there as a reminder. It is God who sends the word where he will and when he will as a reminder that God's love is an electing love. This widow of Zarephath was not seeking for God. She was not looking for Him. God came to her. The Word came to her. The prophet sought her out. As a reminder that that's how God works even today. His Word comes where it will and when it will. And he calls his own to follow him. That same word that came to us. We who would not be seeking after God, but he came and sought us and made us his very own. The word of God comes and instructs the widow. And so Elijah calls to her, 
Bring to me water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he calls to her, Bring to me a morsel of bread in your hand as well. And we read, and she says, As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little, jug of, a little oil in a jug. Now I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in, prepare it for myself and my son, we may eat it and die. If it were not the word of God, the words of the prophet would seem terribly heartless. This widow gathering up sticks to make a fire, to, to prepare the last meal that she and her son will have together, and then she will die. And how does the prophet respond? He says to her, Do not fear, go and do as you have said, but first, but first, make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. I said it, it would seem heartless if it were not the word of God. You're going to go and eat your meal and die, but before you do that, take care of me. Take care of my needs first. He, in essence, asks her for everything. She's going to go and make a meal, the last meal she will have, a little bit of meal, a little bit of oil, we're going to eat that. And he says, no, no, I want that first. Bring it to me. Don't, don't bring the leftovers. Bring it to me first. And with that call to her comes a word of promise. He says, For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, The jar of flour shall not be spent, and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. He comes to her and he demands everything from her. But the promise is, if you believe this word I am giving, if you act upon this word I am giving, God will supply everything that you need. When you put him first, when you bring that food to me first, God will take care of the rest. God's abundant provision. He doesn't say to her, look, bring me the food first and you'll have one more day to live. Doesn't say, bring me the food first, you'll have one more week to live or one more month to live. But you will live until rain once again comes upon the earth. The abundant blessing provided when God is put first. God comes to us in his word. God calls us to put him and his kingdom and his glory, they must be first in our lives. So often we want to go our own way. I want my way first, and if there's anything left over, I'll provide it for God. No, put God's ways first. And then, then he will provide what is necessary. He receives the first fruits, the best, the best of our time, the best of our talents, the best that we have to offer. Give them to him first. And that which is necessary 
will be provided to us in abundance. God's call is for complete obedience. Because that, that is the obedience that Christ gave for us. He was sent by the Father into the world, and He obeyed perfectly. He came down to earth from heaven. He came down and lived that life among sinful men and women. He came down and not only lived among us, He died among us. A cruel death. He was obedient to the Father's will, obedient even to death. And God would then raise him to life. Jesus Christ was obedient. God asked for everything. And he obeyed perfectly. He obeyed that we might be the recipients of that blessing, the abundant provision of God. We now find in Jesus Christ everything necessary in our lives, everything necessary for our salvation. Nothing we can offer, nothing we can add. Christ has done it all. We are simply called to believe in that work which He has done. God calls us tonight to put our faith in that Jesus Christ, the one perfectly obedient, the one who put God's will first, the one who accomplished everything necessary for our salvation. Put your faith in Him and know the abundance of life found in Him. All she had to do was to believe the word of the prophet. She could have, she could have gone her own way. She could have gone to her home. She could have made the little bit of bread. She could have eaten with her son and died. But she chose to believe the word of the Lord. She chose to believe the word of the prophet. And she, she in faith, acts upon his word and she lives. Tonight, God comes to us with a word of promise, a word of promise for the forgiveness of our sins. Now, we have a choice. We can go our own way. We can reject that word, and we will die an eternal death. Or we believe. We believe the word of the Lord the word that comes from the Scriptures, that for all who put their faith and hope and trust in Jesus Christ alone, there is not death, but there is life and eternal life. That's the call to faith. That's the call to, to act upon that faith, trusting in Jesus Christ, knowing He has done everything. That's the message from Elijah to us tonight, not just about his interaction with a widow, but how God reveals how he deals with his people. His word remains true. His word remains faithful. And for all who put their trust in the promises of his word, God promises not a meager life, a week of life, a month of life, a year of life, but he assures us of eternal life, a life with him forever. All of this took place according to the word of the Lord, that he spoke by Elijah.
Oh, might God give us that same confidence in the promises, in the blessings that come from the Word of God. Let's join together in prayer. Lord God, we thank you tonight that we can sing and we can celebrate the coming of your Son into the world. That happened, O oh God, at your Word, at the promises which you had made. And we can rejoice in the fulfillment of those promises as we know that Jesus Christ came, that, that child, that one who was born of Mary, yet that one who would grow and live and who would be our Savior and our Lord. Thank you for your word which is always faithful to us, O oh God. Make us, make us always willing to put you and your ways first, to trust you foremost, to give up trust in ourselves, and to know that following after you Although it may cost us everything, you will provide all that we need and provide in abundance. Hear our prayer, O God, for Jesus' sake. Amen.